Hello, fangirls, fanboys, and non-binary fan pals. My name is Kendra, and welcome to Food for Nerds, the podcast all about exploring the psychological and societal impacts of everything fandom. This week, join myself and my co-host Jake as we take a deep dive into one of our favorite shows. Starring Matt Bomer and Tim Decay, we're going to be looking at the USA Network show White Collar today. This show has been a significant part of both mine and Jake's lives, and we're ready to share that love with you and talk just a little bit more deeply about the impacts that this show had on popular culture and explore some of the psychological things that have gone into the making of the show. We are going to put a spoiler warning out. We are going to be talking about season finales, series finales, recurring characters, plot lines. So if you haven't seen White Collar, you might want to keep going into this episode with just that thought in mind that you might be spoiled for some bigger things. But if you have seen White Collar and you're a fan, come with us to learn why Jake and I absolutely love this show. Let's get on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Food for Nerds. My name is Kendra, and as always, I have my co-host Jake here with me today. Nice to see everybody back. We just did the math. This is episode number 10 already. Um, I'm, I'm blown Ooh. away. And it's a little thing. and I mean, I don't want you guys applauding from, from, you know, if you're driving and you're listening to this, anything like that, but... Let's be real. Pretty impressive that so far, 10 weeks in, we haven't missed a week. Nope. Um, that's, you know, for people who are, are, are budding uh, podcasters and living a bit uh, hectic lives in very, very different uh, locales from one another. I'd say that's a pretty good start. Hopefully we're going to maintain that. That's what we're hoping. But episode 10, uh, super exciting to be here with you guys. Yeah, it is a very super exciting thing for me. I sent the outline for this to Jake, and in parentheses I have, oh my god, is that really what we're up to at this point? Because it feels like I just started this project yesterday, but obviously we are 10 weeks in, which is a long time. Yeah, like I said, I'm I'm glad that we're, you know, like I said, we've been as consistent as we have been. There's some things we've had to work on, and, and there's certainly some episodes that I know I felt... Uh, may have flowed a little better than others so we're still learning you know to find our groove but 10 episodes in i'm pretty proud of what we've done so far and i'm pretty appreciative of the response we get from you guys as as listeners and we're hoping to kind of find more ways to keep doing that with future episodes but uh 10 episodes in nice little milestone for us so (laughs) thanks for being here with us yeah absolutely thank you all for listening so we come off of the last two weeks talking about sherlock holmes And this week, we wanted to just do something that didn't have an overarching theme, which is kind of a one-off something that we both enjoy. So today, we're going to be talking about the TV show White Collar. So it's a TV show that I really love. It stars Matt Bomer, who is one of the celebrities that I take a lot of inspiration from. And it's something exciting that I've been wanting to talk about since the beginning of this. And I figured, what better time but the present to do this? I couldn't agree more. And, and like we said, we talked about how we're reorganizing. And so we knew that we had an episode here that we wanted to try to tuck in before we reached, um, you know, Harry Potter month, um, uh, among other other plans that we have coming up here, too. So we were looking for something that we both know and love and something that we figure um, 
has enough widespread coverage um, as far as appreciation from you guys as our audience. It's kind of fascinating how um, broad the fan base is for white collar. Normally, my mom is one of the first ones to shut off a lot of the cop shows because they get too dark or they're dealing with issues and content that she doesn't really feel like she needs to be seeing as a you know conservative Christian woman. Um, yet she will now watch white collar. Um, when she's catching reruns of it on on over-the-air television even it's not even on cable for her um and i watch it and i know other people who are into those darker other things uh, things that i'm not really as as up for and they love it too so it's something that we figured would be a good thing to to kind of bring up um and specifically um you know we both like Matt Bomer. Matt Bomer having been <laughs> in other projects of ours that we enjoy very much. He's a very, very good actor, and that was a great Absolutely. sort of building point. Um, but there's a lot about the show beyond him, um, specifically as a talent actor, that keep that show alive. A lot of it is the other actors and actresses, um, but the writing and the the story development on that show is also uh, absolutely phenomenal, especially given uh, how long it ran, how consistent yes. it was each season is still mind-boggling. Yeah, I'm actually in the process of re-watching it. So Nate, as m- some listeners might not know, is my husband. And he had never seen White Collar. And I forget what I was watching. Matt Bomer was in it, and I was watching it over Zoom with one of my friends. And we were having fun. And I said something about White Collar. And Nate said, oh, I've never watched that. So immediately the other show went off and White Collar went on and he's addicted to it now. So we're rewatching it. So some of this stuff is really fresh in my mind too, because before then I hadn't watched it since the show ended. So some of this is actually kind of fresh in my mind, which is really nice. So White Collar aired from 2009 to 2014, which kind of shocked me because of the other types of shows that were happening at that point. It didn't seem like something like White Collar would have caught on, but it did. And I think one of the reasons was, is it aired on USA Network, which Jake, I know of nothing else that was on USA Network. I know of other things and I'm blanking on what they are. A lot of them are things that I never really took, you know, cared much about. I know USA also had a pretty thriving, uh, like, reality television sort of a a series too and again that's never really been my shtick and um, I know we've talked about it I didn't grow up with cable and in college didn't have cable and still don't have cable Um, so unless you have a cable package that allows you to stream it or you catch you know these shows like we were saying White Collar in specific is on Hulu Um, that's where I'll catch it if I want to watch it now Um, the cool thing is and I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. I know we're going to bring it up, but I think it's kind of important to note, at least in my case, in my, you know, my friend group's case of being able to view it, is that um, White Collar initially was a USA show, but then they did get syndicated by ION, and ION is one of the more commonly accessible channels for yes. people who use over-the-air television, like my parents do still at the old house. Um and that's how, without cable, it's still one of the shows that she can usually catch two or three episodes of on certain nights of the week and other times throughout the day, um, which, I, you know, as far as a show, just kind of pick up in the middle of an episode, it's one of the best shows for that. Um, each episode is self-contained in its own way, 
But if you've watched all of it, you've noticed the extra tensions from previous episodes or the the overarching side plot of a season of, you know, who trusts who, who's stabbing who in the back, where's the, the breakdown in the relationship between these characters. Um, so the fact that it's on Ion made it really more accessible. We've talked about how accessibility can change a fan base or yeah. reach more of that fan base. And I think they kind of, in a weird way, whether or not they meant to, they kind of did that by switching to Ion and now also being available on Hulu. Exactly. They are also available as well on Amazon Prime, um, which, you know, uh, there's a lot of good shows on Amazon Prime and things that you just flick through and go, oh, interesting, which, but it's it's great for accessibility because a lot of people have Amazon Prime accounts. But so it ran on USA Network originally, and it was one of their most popular shows during its run. And it ran for six complete seasons. So by complete, it means every season had roughly the same amount of episodes. A lot of shows, you get to the last season or two, and the network only signs them for 10 episodes, 13 episodes, six episodes, like these half or quarter seasons. Um, White Collar did six complete. So by the time it was over, all six seasons had roughly right around the same amount of episodes. And that's always how you know that a show has gone really well. And that it's not necessarily ending because people want it to end or are uninterested. Um, it was one of those, it still had a lot of interest. It still had a lot of high acclaim to it. But it was just kind of ready for the show to wind down. One of the things that I hate about good TV is when they just take a show and run it completely into the ground because they don't want it to end. And I feel like White Collar didn't do that. Fun fact about White Collar, though, is that the last episode aired on December 18th of 2014, which is actually my birthday. So for my, I believe it was 17th birthday, I spent the night watching the series finale of White Collar. Hi, guys. Editing Kendra here. Actually... I lied. Uh, that would have been my 18th birthday, which is why I remember watching it because that was my golden birthday, December 18th, and I turned 18. Um, that's why I remember that so vividly and watching that as part of something for my birthday. But uh, this is one of those shows that kind of has, has stuck with me for a really long time. And we'll talk a little bit more about why in a few minutes here. So, But I just want to come on here and correct that and be like, yeah. I can remember how old I am. Back to the episode. I was yeah, a late a, kid. <laughs> uh, no, I was going to say that's a pretty unique connection. It's one of those where my birthday never really lended itself to that kind of thing. Um, but I definitely, definitely think that would be a pretty memorable way to, to solve that show. And uh, it's the finales of each of the seasons. Like, there's yeah. something that they did that was very good about the structure so that, like I said, it stayed very episodic. You could pick up and and leave off anywhere and not really feel like you missed out on the enjoyable portions of the show exactly. um but each season had a pretty long arc and then technically even in some cases there was an even longer arc over a couple of those seasons and you might almost forget about that larger peck uh, picture item and then it kind of would come back in even more powerful ways in future seasons um and again we've we we promised we're going to be putting our, our our spoiler alert at the beginning of this episode yes, um, so that we can we can be talking <laughs> a little bit more freely about this um so far it still feels like we've sort of danced around some of it um but uh chandra i want you to break down a little bit just for the people who maybe have not seen white collar 
what's the what's the general sort of uh, synopsis you would give? So basically, rundown of the show and what the main actors and characters and storylines are. Um, so basically, you have Matt Bomer's character, whose name is Neil, and he is a white collar criminal. So white collar crimes are things that happen in the white collar world. So the corporations, the offices of the country, things like embezzlement and money laundering and shifting things, how they're not supposed to go. So it's, it's, he's in jail. The series opens with him being in jail for this. And the very first thing you see is Neil breaking out of prison. He digs a cop's uniform out of the tank of a toilet and dresses like a prison guard and escapes that way. And that's the opening for the series, which already had me incredibly intrigued. Absolutely. And it's, you know, for those of you who know Matt Bomer, um, uh, fully, fully embracing my own sexuality and saying this, he is a gorgeous man. Oh and my God. seeing him, seeing him less than manicured, like he seems to be in every other role I've ever seen him in. Yeah. Seeing him in sort of prison mode, you're like, okay, this is weird. This isn't like him. Why is he like this? And then watching him work. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, we talk about white collar and yeah, we think a lot of, if we talk about it in the real world, white collar crime seems to us to be like we were saying embezzlement or, um, you know, bank frauds and all these other things. I think it's important to note too that Neil's character is more of a a grifter. He's a con yeah. artist. Now his cons are white collar level, which means he's doing things that are embezzling and are Ocean's Eight style misdirection, skilled with sleight of hand and uh, impersonating people and all those other things. That's his wheelhouse. That's his skill set, and it's neat to see him start that in prison. Not, yes. not that he started that in his character chronologically, right? But for the, the audience getting to start the show, you start off with him putting together just this little small heist, but you see the attention to detail and you see his he does make it out um, and does reach his end goal, but then you also see how his emotions um, sort of impact the success of some of his other um, goals, his other missions. You can see sometimes where he gets partway through it, he has sort of a a conflict of, of morals or ethics, um, and it normally spins him right back around. But seeing that dichotomy in the just the first episode is just yeah directorial bliss. Absolutely. And as as um, someone who I know I'm a little bit younger than you, I'm also female, so I can speak to this for our probably younger female audience, that if you hadn't watched White Collar when it aired, you probably didn't know about Matt Bomer until the Magic Mike movies. Hey guys, Editing Kendra again. Since we are going to be talking about Matt Bomer a lot in this episode, and I have already said that he's incredibly inspirational to me and to people that I know, I kind of wanted to take a little look a little more in-depthly in this moment of some of the other stuff that he's done. So obviously, White Collar is actually one of the things that he is most known for, as well as the Magic Mike films, which I just talked about. But he was also in an episode of All My Children, he was in The Traveler, he was in Chuck, as um, Jake has said multiple times. Uh, he was in an episode of Glee. He was a voice in Superman Unbound. Uh, he's done recurring characters on American Horror Story and was in The Boys in the Band. 
He also made his directorial debut with the assassination of Gianni Versace, which if you've listened to past episodes, is a Ryan Murphy-produced limited series that I am absolutely in love with. Just everyone who worked on that project is insanely talented, and it's probably one of the best limited-run series that I've, I've ever watched. It's incredible from the cinematography to the soundtrack, the directing, the acting is all just glorious. And I don't think there's going to be anything for a really long time that lives up to that project. So he does a lot of behind the scenes things as well as being like in front of the camera and on the stage. So just incredibly talented. And he's had his hand in a lot of different projects. But I do think that most people know him from White Collar. If you don't know who he is, that's a little bit more about him, and we'll put his IMDb page in the description of this episode. All right, back to what we were talking about. Um, which is, he was in those movies. So I know a lot of people went backwards and then watched White Collar, where I was the opposite. I started White Collar in 2010, so I didn't start it in 2009 when it aired. I started it in 2010 when I really started hitting TV. That was the same year that I started really getting into Doctor Who and that was the same year I got into Glee. So that was like my, I'm going to watch everything that TV has to offer year. But so it, it is interesting when I talk to some people and how they view Matt Bomer has everything to do with what TV show they started watching him in or what movie they started watching him in. And no matter where you come from, there's something so exciting about the beginning of white collar that it just doesn't fit any of those other roles in any way and it's so unexpected for who he seems to be as an actor and i just remember you're like rooting for this guy to break out of prison because it's so detailed from getting a key card to getting the uniform and the way he breaks out and then he buys a jacket off the street for three dollars that looks like an airport valet's uniform and that's how he steals a car and how he gets away. And then you get about 15 minutes into the episode and he's captured again. So, but the reason they have to do that is because the whole show is him actually working for the FBI to help them catch white collar criminals. He was captured again at about the middle of the first episode and his whole plan then is to tell the person that eventually becomes his partner in these things. He tells him, hey, um, I know what this thing is you're looking for. And I can help you catch this criminal you're looking for. You just have to make sure I get out of prison. So that's, that's, that's the storyline there. I don't know if you had anything to add, Jake. No, I think that summarizes the majority of it. We're going to have to touch on some of the other, you know, recurring characters and some of the other storylines. Oh, yes. Because obviously from the, the psych and, and social standpoint, that's yes. huge. Um, but yes. I think I think the biggest thing that I absolutely adore about this show is I think I kind of mentioned it already, is that it's got this very, very heist movie feel. Yes. But in each episode. And so each episode... And there are some that are probably a bit more compelling than others, a bit more action-packed or more suited to, to one type of grift or another. Uh, and some episodes also seem to focus more on some of the individual characters. Um, so the FBI agent's wife, who is an absolute glorious character. I um, love her. She is oh, 10 out of 10, you would hope your wife 
ages as beautifully and wonderfully and graciously as this woman does, at least in that role. Um, she's just such a great, great wife. I guess basically the fact that it's like heist episodes, um, little mini Ocean's Elevens to me is something exciting. So it's still a cop show, but rather than it being the, oh, we need to deduce this from that, like we've talked so much with the Sherlock Holmes and some of those other shows we kind of referred to. What's cool about this one is it's it takes some of the the social elements that it seems so many of these great minds of detectives or cops are sort of missing out on. You know, you look at criminal minds and you're looking at um, at Reed and some of the other characters. And yeah. Things. And it's they're super compelling. You love them, but you sometimes just wish they were socially debonair and and had this master plot that just works because of timing and planning and and that attention to detail there's something so satisfying about that a team watching a plan come together it's just something so cool and it being every episode and being just like a oceans 8 film where you feel like or oceans 11 12 13 pick, (laughs) pick a number and put oceans in front of it you've got one um (laughs) <laughs> any of any of the ocean films you look at you know Brad Pitt and George Clooney at their absolute most suave and it's how you know vague and and mysterious can they seem in communication how many different nicknames for certain griffs can they use and it just kind of gives you this kind of cool you know badass kind of feel and i feel like what totally. nails it and Matt Bomer being the character to be that as well as the entire supporting cast of, you know, rotating people who are ex-girlfriends or previous, um, you know, fences, aka someone who would sell the stolen products on the black market. All these people, they do such a great job of making this seem like, ah, the good old days when a con man was a con man kind of a thing. Um, And there's something about that, like you said, it has you from episode one rooting for the con man all the way through. And you kind of see the cops, the FBI characters, and some of the other people. You see them slowly starting to adjust to, you know what? He's, his methods are a little unorthodox, but they get results. And as long as we can stay on the right side of the legal side of things, this is actually something that's, you know, really beneficial for the public if we see it from, you know, the FBI's point of view. Exactly. I think the only other show that I can think of at least around that same time period that was as compelling and had you rooting for the good guys by rooting for the bad guy is Dexter. That's the only Mm. other show that I can compare this with of that type of compelling feeling that you get. Everything else is kind of criminal minds-esque where it's, okay, these are the good guys. It's a very predetermined bad guy. They're looking for the killer. They're looking for the whatever White Collar does a great thing of, well, we're using the bad guy to hunt the other bad guys. Dexter's the same kind of thing. But I feel like those two shows were really the the first of their kind and were the really only two airing around that time that did that kind of story versus the other cop shows that we were so used to seeing and characters and tropes that were so played out. Yeah, I think I think a very good point there with Dexter. Um, and I think that's the part of Dexter that I liked is just that, that, you know, he's sort of the unlikely hero in that really he's sort of the anti-hero. 
uh, yeah. like you're saying. Um, but when you look at, at White Collar, I think the thing I gravitate towards is I'm not a huge fan of, of horror and suspense and sort of that idea of absolutely intentional discord. Uh, yeah. that, that's not the kind of conflict I enjoy in a, in a show. So where Dexter is, oh, uh, here's a serial killer that's been murdering everybody using some heinous tactic. I'm going to think of another more heinous way to kill them and get away with it, etc. Whereas with White Collar, it's like, okay, um, we have a report that someone is trying to forge these artworks and sell them at auction. Well, how can they get in to inspect one even though it's supposed to be a private auction like all these things and you get to watch neil say oh this is how i would do it you get to watch his handler at the fbi peter go well you can't do that you can't do that but i guess that third thing you mentioned there's a gray area i suppose we could let you have a little bit of a leash here and things like that <laughs> and he's one of the big main overarching things is because he's working for the fbi that's the only reason he's out of prison is he has a very small radius for most of the show, at least that he's allowed <laughs> to operate months. within exactly. And he's got an ankle monitor. Yeah. And so to the stop constant, him from running. Yeah. And the constant struggle is every episode, Neil's like, well, they're going to see the ankle cuff or it's going to go off. Cause I have to go outside that three mile radius for this mission, et cetera, et cetera. So you get a lot of these times where it's okay. Peter Burke really has to trust Neil, you know, as, as his FBI handler to be able to go, okay, yeah. I need to let you off the hook because you're absolutely right. You're going to be patted down. You can't wear a wire, all these other things. So you're going to be off comms. You're not going to have a, a tracker on you. And there's just this wonderful, wonderful dichotomy of trust between the two of them in particular. Um, yes, it's fantastic. And it's crazy because then you also see how you've got Peter's wife who we've talked about, who's just amazing and so often tries to be the voice of reason and on Neil with love and hopefully some some convincing to, to Peter to let him have some leash yeah. in there because he's been proving himself. And you're like, yeah, I love it. Um, but Neil kind of has a wife, too. And he's the one we haven't talked about yet. And he's an absolute champ. Mm -hmm. And that's Mozzie. Mozzie. So fantastic, which I love the fact that his nickname in the show essentially comes from his teddy bear when he was a kid. That's yep. what his nickname comes from. But uh, I, their the dynamics in these shows, in this show in particular, is so good. Because you have, like, um, Elizabeth Burke, who is Peter's wife. So Peter is, you know, Neil's FBI handler, FBI partner person. And he doesn't want to take this deal. And his wife convinces him to take it. And when they're getting in the car for the very first time, Neil just goes, well, why, why, why'd you decide this? Peter looks at him and goes, my wife, the romantic. And they get in the car and go to do their first thing. And that continues through everything. And then you add this wonderful extra character now, because there's a secondary plot, at least through like season one-ish, that part of why Neil wanted out was to hunt down this woman named Kate that he needed to find her so he had a secondary mission of being out not just to help the FBI which is where a lot of his internal ethics struggles come from but this friend is who he has enlisted to help and then he also ends up inadvertently helping the FBI and it's this wonderful like foursome dynamic between all of them 
that plays off so beautifully, even when they're not all in the same scenes. Absolutely. And it's we, we talk about how character development was, you know, at least we've touched on how great it is in this show. And we've, you know, highlighted how great the wife is as a character and such. And we've obviously got a lot of uh, positive feelings about Mozzie. I don't know if you hear it, the tones of our voices when we bring up Mozzie. <laughs> he is fantastic. He's this quirky little guy. He's got this rampant anti-social kind of vibe, as well as um, that sort of tin hat um, level of of uh, paranoia, which sort of serves him well as a con man, grifter, sort of director. He kind of yeah. puts all the pieces together, and he can help, and he can run his own cons. It's not that he's not capable. It's just he sort of seems sort of like your your cue if you're watching your Bond film. He's sort of the man behind the curtain getting all the stuff done, and you know he's pretty badass on his own but you know that he's sort of that supporting character and what's nice is you get this awesome feeling by the end where you have an fbi agent you have somebody who is actively thinking that the fbi is you know spying using pigeons and random stuff like that and yet they become friends because they both care about neil yeah want to see him turn over the right leaf and it's crazy it's like peter wants to see him become like an fbi agent or something if he wanted to be and you see mozzie wants him to go back to being the prolific con man forger uh counterfeit man that he always was um yeah and it's just fascinating to see the way those two kind of pull at neil because neil knows how both of them feel about him how much if sacrificed or made attempts to to see him better himself but they each take such a wide and different approach um and it's also kind of weird then in a lot of ways you see peter's wife is sort of actually almost neutral she appreciates the things that neil used to do and doesn't tell him not to do them but exactly. obviously she kind of highlights all the good that Peter's done for him and says, you know, don't burn him. And you know what? The stuff that he's suggesting you do, even if you get off your your electronic leash, you know, <laughs> you could you could be a contributing member of society just like Peter and you like Peter. Maybe you should, you know, but there's such a cool dynamic there. Um, Neil's girlfriends are awesome. <laughs> and yes, I say plural. Um, plural. Obviously, he's a a suave man. He's a con man, which I just, I don't know what it is, but I love seeing Matt Bomer play, like, a ladies' man. Oh, he's he's so good at it. Which, for anyone who doesn't know, like, Matt Bomer as an actor, like, fucking gay. Like, gay as you can get. Very gay. Matt Bomer. Very gay. But he just... some reason when and it's it's like when you hire straight actors to play gay who do that really well it's just it's their job it's what they do but it's a mark of a fantastic actor when you can put aside everything about your personal life and completely embody a role so well that people like question who you are as a real person he's, he he literally just takes neil patrick harris and does it better and that sounds really harsh i love neil patrick harris and neil yeah. patrick harris is probably more talented in musical regards and some other things too but as far as like if you compare neil patrick harris's character on like how i met your mother as sort of mm-hmm. again that womanizing character you still kind of get the, the feeling that he's a little creepy or he's trying a little too hard you don't get yeah. that with neil's character matt bomer no. when he plays neil it is effortless women just come to him and that's what's also awesome is you know 
some of his girlfriends in particular one um as well as kate the mystery woman from the kind of beginning of the show is a lot of them are also involved in some of the same stuff and so it's sort of this fascinating like honor among thieves sort of thing that you see with other characters too but it's a really unique dynamic to see then with the females because he's asking them for a courtesy assistance or they're asking him and it plays on that sexual tension just a little bit like it's a fantastic dynamic and i like the pacing that they have it sounds really weird but the pacing they have for these girlfriends yeah. He doesn't he doesn't burn through them very fast. They're not a one or two episode and done kind of thing. They're usually around for multiple episodes of a season. You know, we talk about how some of the seasons seem to have a main arc, each one. Usually there's a woman who's either at the center or is a key contributing factor in that plot for the season. And normally yeah. when something either blows up or goes really well, their relationship status has to change. And that's usually how we get on to whoever the next um, sexual tension, love interest, or, yeah. you know, recurring character is going to be. But they have such a great dynamic. They've picked so many great supporting roles. Um, other FBI agents, and you've got, you know, Bo Bridges coming in to play uh, <laughs> roles. You know, you've got yeah. some real big names. Um, and especially in the world of, you know, television, these are faces and names you're going to recognize as from, oh, this other cop show, or they were on Flashpoint, or they're on this other Ion television show I watch. These are not all, you know, they're not rookies. These are some of the top of the top, um, which again, I think is part of why this show succeeded as well as it did for USA. Um, exactly. As they, they played on that. But I think what's really nice is even when they bring in these supporting roles some of these other actors the women, they're all there to serve a purpose where a lot of times supporting actors and actresses, especially when you're looking at, oh, one episode, two episodes, or like the girlfriend of the main character, is they're often arm candy or they just are used to die and then go away to serve plot purposes where every almost every single side character, including all the girlfriends, have a very specific role to play and they're important to the plot and they're important to neil's character development and peter's character development and when we talk about you know the dynamics of this show i like to see where when every character is important i watch a lot of tv where there's a lot of throwaway characters because they just need some way to move the plot along and i never felt like that happened with white collar i always felt that each character that came in was unique and special the story was written to support them and not for them to support the story. Totally. And I, f I feel like you see a lot of that even with the recurring villains that sometimes you have. Um, yeah. There's a lot of episodes where it's not just solved in one episode or there's somewhere maybe it is solved at the end of an episode. But later on, they make it out of prison for a later season or something like that. And they come back as, you know, a, a, a revenge plot. Um, yeah. And I think one of the my favorite dynamics we talk about how they you know the characters matter and I've you know talked about how a lot of shows it's just arm candy for the women you know it's just women for the sake of women but yeah. you look at his girlfriend my favorite of his girlfriends which is Sarah Ellis mm -hmm. um, you look at oh that girlfriend God. and I love this dynamic listen to this she is a insurance claims 
um, I guess it's technically the term is adjuster or something like that. But basically, yeah. her job is to investigate. She's an investigator, so that's part of how they get to know each other. But she investigates for art, um, possible thefts and claims of art insurance. So he, he's a art forger. He is literally one of the people who is either stealing or creating these fake works that she then has to either appraise or figure out if they are authentic or stolen, etc. And that is who he is dating. And he dates her during a season where he's basically collecting illegal works of, of art that he's yeah. not supposed to have, that are supposed to be destroyed. And if he fences them, everybody will know he has them because there's almost no one else who could have them. Like, it is that down-to-the-wire tense. And obviously he's getting pulled from Mozzie to get back into the, the underworld. And he's being pulled from Peter at that moment because they're on like a relationship high where they're both trusting each other. Like it is so many poles on one person. And we've said it before, Matt Bomer, fantastic actor. We've even seen it in my show, Chuck. Yeah, I brought it up. He looks, <laughs> oh, yeah. he looks tortured in the yeah. episodes where you, you know, he has to betray Chuck or he has to do something that he knows is for Chuck's benefit, but Chuck may not see yet. And he's, you know, he's so clearly, I should say, tortured by that decision. You can see it. Um, and he does a fantastic job in these shows of, you know, everything seems so effortless for him when he's finally at, you know, his breaking point and he's, you know, by himself in his apartment, you can see the stress it takes on him. And it's so different from how he is the rest of the time. It yeah. does really emphasize how many different directions he feels like he's being pulled yeah. in. Uh, it's incredible. And there are very, very few actors that can do scenes where it's by themselves or where no one else is talking. I've done a lot of acting. I was a theater kid and one, and I have a lot of friends that are in theater in college and in their careers. And one of the hardest things to do is a scene by yourself or where no one else is talking specifically because you use your co-stars and your co-actors to bounce emotions off of. If you have to be there by yourself, there's no one else to bounce off of. What you're seeing on the television screen looks really intense because it's camera angles and soundtrack and editing. Most of these things are done on a soundstage and there's a bunch of people standing around you with a camera in your face. And you have to do this seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven times over and over again. And there are very few actors that can do those scenes and have them hit so hard and have that emotion be just on point every time. And that Bomer is one of them, which leads into, I wanted to talk about a little bit about uh, maybe a favorite episode. I have one, and I know what it is. It's called Out of the Box. It is oh. probably my favorite episode in the entire show. And it's an earlier episode. Um, and basically, you have Neil, who's found Kate, and he has made the decision that he, he's leaving the Bureau. He's leaving the FBI. He's not doing this, and Kate gets on a plane to basically take him with her to do what they're going to do. And Peter, they're outside of that plane, and Peter's like, don't do this. And he's explaining why you don't do this. And in a moment, Neil says, no, this is what I want. And when he turns around, the plane explodes. Um, and you, it is 
one of the most beautiful and tragic scenes from a TV show I've ever seen uh, is just you when they pan over Neil's face when that happens is gorgeous and heartbreaking and I, I, I don't even know I can't say enough good things about that moment he, that, he looks ugh. he looks uh, unconsolably distraught just yeah destroyed and I love the layers it kind of creates then as it's like okay you really can't go back now and say that you wanted to stay because you clearly were saying hey I'm going and, and you turned very to go the clearly. plane and the plane explodes and everybody kind of knows now that the FBI is your second choice and so now Peter has to well maybe he doesn't technically and that's part of maybe the this the tension there too is you know for Peter you know he could try to be gentle about it and be like hey I realize this isn't what you wanted but you know we still have a good thing going here but at the same time Peter can also be like you know bro like you just literally were about ready to give up what we had to go chase a girl that clearly you know is into some you know shady enough shit that she's getting blown up or who knows what went on like it's it, it adds so many things so there's unanswered questions for neil there's weird positions that this puts peter and mozzie in, especially since like we said it's kind of the first big thing Mm-hmm. for you know his overarching goal like you said it's why he breaks out of prison in the first episode because you actually find out he wasn't going to be in prison much longer and now that... four months i think was it four months <laughs> something like that it was months we're like talking less than a year so you know it didn't make sense for him to do what he did and that's part of why peter came to visit and asked him like okay i, I cap- captured you again why were you why would you do this with four months left and why didn't like he was sitting in a room waiting for Peter to come pick him up. And it was all because he was chasing after that girl. The girl wasn't there and it left him a message and it wasn't really what he seemed to want to hear. And that's why he sort of seemed to give up and that's why they caught him again. Now we know Peter is extraordinarily bright and he would have caught him probably regardless. He would have caught him anyway. But you see, that's how, you can literally have in the same episode him break out, him be back in, and him be now legally out all in the course of one pilot episode. Um, yeah, and it's uh, there's not, again. I I hate to be that person that's like, but Matt Bover is a great actor though. Is in that first episode, there's this great scene where, and this is where you see just the depth of character. Where before he broke out, he was counting the days on his cell wall. Um, against like uh, prison cells have like you know a mirror with like a sink and a toilet or at least when across from the bed at least that's how this one in this tv show is set up and the entire wall by like that sink area is just all the hash marks from him counting the days and immediately originally peter says no i'm not gonna do this deal with you and walks away and they put him back in this cell and the first thing he does is to go to make the mark and he, there's just this beautiful moment where he gets just incredibly, it's not even anger. It's like a mix between anger and hurt and desperation and completely just destroys that wall. It's a completely silent scene. It's just him in this empty room. He does that and then immediately turns around and grabs like the crayon, turns around to the other side of the wall and scratches one in as like the beginning of his next sentence and that's where you first see this oh crap 
this guy has layers. Yeah, there's a you know we're we're talking about some of the episodes we like or or segments we liked, and mm-hmm. it's it's tough. And I know there are a couple that kind of stand out, and you know some of it's for different reasons. I'm a big history guy, and I also like nautical history. And there's a cool episode where they um, they fake the Shackleton whiskey bottles, and so there, oh, were, there a was a Antarctic exploration. Uh, recently, we did actually find remnants of a. Uh, either parts of the ship or a stockpile of, of resources um, that they had, you know, planted in the snow for their trek across the Antarctic continent. And while they were doing that, they found um, these, uh, they would have been uh, circa or early 1900s um, bottles of whiskey. And they are, you know, extremely rare vintage. Then the story of them being shocked, like they're ridiculously expensive. And there's an episode where they, try to essentially forge that and it's super difficult because it's going to be carbon dated and all these other things that one's super cool from the historical standpoint and that part i love that episode that stuck out um but i think you were talking about how out of the box there's something else that goes with that and that is okay we remove her as sort of his end goal and we add another you know what the next season is going to basically be in pursuit of and there's a music box a russian i believe it was music box i think so um and it's made of amber and it's supposed to be a key to even greater treasure essentially it's also fascinating and that's sort of the clue that gets left behind for him to move on and that's part of why they didn't name of that episode is uh, out of the box my favorite overarching plot and therefore also sort of two-part episode when we get to it at that finale is i absolutely adore there's one where they have to find a german u-boat sub this is also when he's dating sarah who is in my opinion yeah. his best of the girlfriends he's in a really good place with mozzie and peter and elizabeth peter's wife um it's he meets some of his best villains during this this particular one including a villain that's come back from a previous uh, season, so it's another one that's weird. Like, oh, I remember you, and you have this cool, like, oh, you're back kind of moment. Um, and I love the historical aspect of it. And they're using an old passive radio technology, which, by the way, makes scientific sense to some extent, at least. And that they now have to find this old, old sub, and when they find it, it is loaded with confiscated Nazi art. So art of the Jews and the Poles and all these people that the Nazis had confiscated and this ship yeah. went down carrying one of the greatest lost things in you know, lost archives of culture from that time period and earlier and that episode is fantastic that season the build up to it everything in regards to that is in my opinion peak white collar um, just oh, so cool I could gush yeah, and about I believe... the historical part <laughs> forever. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that's the other thing that's so nice about this show is that a lot of these cop shows and these criminal shows bend history and science and stuff at their will to make it fit. White Collar does that a little bit, yeah. but a lot of times when they do historical things, they are very accurate, um, which is kind of nice. Like they do bend things a little bit because you have to because it's TV and it's fiction. But when you're looking at historical things like what type of art was lost and it being a Nazi boat and stuff, a lot of that does make historical sense, which is just kind of a nice layer on top of really great characters, really good story, and then someone did their research on top of it, which is very rare 
for TV like this, especially TV in the 2010s. I have so many shows that I can pick apart. Like, why would you do this this way? Because it makes no sense. Because satire was a huge thing in the 2010s. Well, and I think that's, and, I think that's what's cool about yeah. White Collars is, especially compared to these other cop shows, these other cop shows, they are still very cerebral, right? You can learn something about um, deductive reasonings, and, and you can learn things about the psyche and the human mind. Um, in so many of these shows, and yeah, uh, you know, that's CSI and Criminal Minds and Without a Trace and NCIS. You could just go down the list, and there's a lot of, you know, NCIS comes kind of close with having sort of a lighthearted vibe sometimes with some of the characters. And But what I love about White Collar is it's intelligent. It's cerebral. You can learn a thing, but rather than it being so much about learning about the darkness in somebody or the darkness in something, it's more, you know... You're learning about art. You're learning about, like, they're actively appraising something. Like, okay, we're trying to forge a Monet. Well, what was cool about Monet? Well, he was an impressionist, and he specifically was good on landscapes. And, like, you're, and he used this kind of brush stroke. It's, they dig into those details, and it's those appreciation of details that it's sort of, it's sort of like when you do word puzzles, and it keeps your mind fresh. There's something about the show that does it without it being as depressing as all of the really smart things they figure out in the other cop shows that are so dark and depressing and foreboding. And I, I don't like horror. I don't like those things. (laughs) I don't like the intentionally let's make ourselves feel shitty kind of game. I never really saw the appeal. That's why I don't do that. That's why I love about this show is even when House, another great bingeable show gets kind of dark for me, I can just switch into white collar and that's Even if there's, time. yeah, and there's not saying there's not dark moments and dark oh, episodes and things is. like that, but even with those dark episodes, there's it's usually okay. They're dark, but now they're on the mission. Now you get to see Neil put everything kind of in the back of his mind, if as best he can, and be suave, and you still get to have that Ocean's Eleven moment of like, ah, uh, that plan came together. He had all those details in place. How could he have planned it so perfectly? Ooh, that's satisfying. There's something eminently yeah. satisfying about this show. Whereas, like, there's so many times you watch Criminal Minds and it's like, everyone died. But you got him. Good job. <laughs> this sh- this show is so much more Doesn't like... No, there's in, there's some sad moments, of course, and there's things that maybe yeah. are tragic, but there's so much more of, oh, that plan came together, no one got hurt, they captured the baddie, and Neil and Peter are friends again. But, uh, okay, he, Neil tipped his hat that he's been doing something behind Peter's back. Peter's not happy, but he's trusting him. And so there's still that tension, but there's so much about the episode that is just tension relieving, which is why I love it as a binge show. There's just a show you want all in the background that's not going to dampen your mood or break your brain or in any other way do anything other than make you smile. Um, (laughs) Like I said, white collar. And you have, I mean... It's what, five seasons effectively? Is that right? Did I catch that? Or six seasons? Six Six seasons. 81 episodes. I'm seeing that here. 81 episodes. It's a fantastic bingeable show. And even for people, like I said, people like my mom, there's not a whole lot of iffy content as far as if anybody is, you know, squeamish about, you know, episodes where there's prostitution involved or, um, you know, we talk about how Suave is. He's, you know, essentially at times seducing a security guard or a a secretary here or there for the most part they portray a lot of the things that are are more on the harmless side as just such but the things that are a conflict of interest 
um, it becomes a tension point. So I feel like they pretty realistically address, you know, that part of a con game. Um, yeah. And but it has to factor in, and it makes for truly exceptional television when it does. Yeah, um, and it's not like it's not overly violent, overly sexed up, overly any of that stuff that you get from some of these other shows. But that's also what why I like the societal and psychological impact of white collar, since that's what our podcast is about, everybody. It's hey, what we do. it's what we do here. White collar has a great societal and psychological impact. So one of the things that makes white collar so unique is the type of crime that it portrays. So mm. most of these other shows like Criminal Minds and CSI are portraying um, murders, rapes, suicides, these kinds of crimes, the overly violent, you know, someone takes out a gun and shoots someone else, or there's a serial killer on the loose, overly violent, that kind of stuff. When it comes white collar, it's a different style. It focuses on these white collar crimes, crime that's often done by executives and large companies. Um, which makes it so unique, too, because when we think about white-collar crimes, a lot of people think that that's boring. <laughs> so the type of crime you're talking about, money laundering, bribery, embezzlement, inside tra trading, insurance fraud, it isn't like someone just going up and murdering someone. It often has to do more with money than it is revenge or passion. And what people like to see is the exciting more passion crimes and white collar kind of said no we're gonna do what you think is boring and we're gonna make it intriguing and interesting by the episodes not being completely about the crime but the people and the characters which think, other shows hadn't done i think that's the biggest departure and it seems obvious to say it but if we unpack it even a little further for just a second absolutely it is it is the main reason it departs from the model that dexter had set up yes partly because when we talk about white collar crime it's very easy for most people when you analyze what we think of when we talk about like embezzlement these things things like that who is the victim of a white collar crime so one of the things that people will say is that white collar crime is victimless, which I personally don't believe when you get into things like Bernie Madoff was technically white collar crime and the people that he victimized ended up being like older people and completely all of their money is gone. White collar crime is also things like Ponzi schemes, which anyone can be a part of. People consider pyramid schemes to be white collar crime. And that can involve people on the lowest level of society. So I don't necessarily think it's victimless, but when people hear terms like embezzlement and insider trading, they're thinking, oh, you're hurting a corporation, exactly. not a person. And I think that's what's, I, and I'm, I'm not necessarily going to say that it's not even in some ways manipulative. That Theoretically, that's how a lot of media sort of is. It's meant to make you feel something mm -hmm. in, at the most base instinct and it's sort of a manipulation of feelings and so looking at white collar you go okay we're trying to root for sort of this anti-hero is what we're saying right so who can we have him 
operate against where you don't feel bad that he cons somebody out of money or out of uh, an art forgery or whatever he's trying to do. It's a lot easier if it's a white collar thing. Whereas Dexter, um, there are so many times we have to like find it in yourself to sort of forgive how twisted he is. Yeah. Because you see the victim in all of its bloody detail. Yeah. Whereas exactly. in this, you don't always see the victim, but here's the thing. It gives them so much power because then all they need to do is say, okay, this time, instead of defrauding a bank, he's going to defraud a retirement program. And if he doesn't successfully capture the baddie, they'll have just given away all of the money for an old folks home or whatever. Like, that's not, by the way, not an episode. But the <laughs> idea being that there's a lot of times where what they could do is if they want him to feel more likable, he gets to go up against a dislikable white collar entity, a corporate entity, like we said, who's the victim there. But if they want him to be tortured and they want him to have that ethical and moral debate with Peter and the rest of the gang, then they can bring an episode where what he does will directly impact someone either he knows or he's met or in some other way impact the lives of, of innocence and he's so very robin hood like in most regards that yes. he tr fights to make it so that he doesn't use guns he doesn't do um he you know if he's knocking out a guard he doesn't hurt them it's like it's he's very very ethical about it he has a code sort of fast yeah. and he's furious not style a violent know? he's not a violent person he's he's a money kind of person like i i would i don't want to say like just a very basic he's greedy because that seems too basic of a term for what he is but it's that kind of he deals mostly in money he doesn't want to get his hands dirty he doesn't actually want to hurt anybody but that's what made white collar so vastly unique and what makes it so that none of these other shows can hold a candle to it i'm sorry but I know people love Criminal Minds and CSI, and those have been running for years and years and years. But none of these shows can hold a candle to White Collar and the performances of the main cast in it. And part of it is just because of what you were saying. And societally, it kind of created this shift in cop shows and these types of shows where now you see episodes of things that do involve more white-collar-esque crime because people want to root for the anti-hero in that regard. And it's easier for us as a society to root for that if you don't see the victim like you do in some of these other shows. Absolutely agree with that. And I think the other thing I think about, too, with this show, and it, it may depart from some of our points, and I know it's not on your outline here, but I have to <laughs> say okay, it. Go for it. There, we've talked about how great the show is. We've talked about all these wins, and for the most part, the show is just a series of, of, of consecutive wins. That's why it lasted as long as it did. It's why we're still talking about it. But there is one pretty substantial fail, if I'm being perfectly honest, that oh, did no. come out of White Collar. It is also an indication that sort of dates it a little bit, but Ooh. this is this show sort of started a trend. And dare I say it, it was started by our boy Matt Bomer. Oh no. Or at least, or at least by the costuming department that was behind Matt Bomer. <laughs> Do you remember that phase 
that we all had. I mean, you would have been probably junior high while I was in high school or just yeah. middle school. I was in junior high, whatever that dichotomy would have been. Yeah. Do you remember what happened in 2009 with hats? Do you remember what became really big for no freaking reason because no one looks like a frat pack guy anymore to really pull it off with the exception of Matt Bomer? He pulled it off. I'm not going to say he didn't. But what did he do to ruin everything for oh, fashion culture for the next 10 years? Wait, wait, are you talking about fedoras? I am talking about fedoras. <laughs> I I had at least four or five different fedoras throughout um, my junior can we, high school. Can we hold for a second real fast to tell you about how um, one of the reasons I dated my first ever boyfriend was because oh, no. he had... <laughs> was because... He, like, had that, like, suave-esque look with the fedora, but it was very much like a Matt Bomer-esque look, not, like, the weird, like, like gamer guy weird thing look. It was very much the Matt Bomer-esque, like, hey, which if, I blame. I blame Matt Bomer entirely for that relationship. He's never going to listen to this, but if he ever does, it's your fault. <laughs> if, uh... If you guys end up, yeah, well, I'll, I'll put this challenge to you specifically here, Kendra. If you can get 20 oh either likes or comments on our social media, I will <laughs> gladly give you a photo of me singing in the concert choir wearing a fedora and oh, also a picture at my ex-girlfriend's graduation in a fedora. I will let you have both of those. Oh. Two different fedoras, two different horrible outfits, two different times we should have just let Jake wear basketball shorts and dad sandals because that okay, was just not so, good yeah all right guys i'm gonna put a picture out this week um probably of a fedora on the social media and i need you guys to spam it and get your friends to spam it so i can if have you pictures. if you can get 20 likes or 20 comments i'll say it that way okay um if you can get either of those either um, of whatever that. is and if it's DMs, whatever works best for how we've set it up, I'm totally on okay. board. That's been more sort of your your brainchild there. So I will <laughs> gladly, gladly surrender both photos um, if we can nice. get that kind of engagement. If we don't, then that gets to stay on my Facebook where you Damn. can still see them, but the rest of, <laughs> the rest of our audience go. maybe can't. Uh, no. So guys, the Instagram and Twitter links will be in the description for you. Hopefully that's a little incentive for you. Um, not in a good way, just more of a, well, now we can all make fun of him corporately because, oh, they're not good. And truly, this show, even though I hadn't yet watched it, I guarantee you this show was one of the main reasons everybody thought that was an okay thing again. But Bar, he looks like, so good. No, he did. thing he didn't. He can crush it. Because None I'm sorry, Matt Bomer is classically handsome by 98% of all <laughs> definitions of classically handsome. He's, and it's not like, so you're like, oh, I like him tall and skinny and lanky-like. He's not fat, but he's also not shredded like, you know, uh, Mark Wahlberg. He's got this delightful in the middle thing. I realize this. I know that I have yet to find a woman who doesn't go, mm, Matt Bomer. Yet to find <laughs> one. And that's even with lesbian girls. I know lesbian girls that go, I would definitely change teams for him. It's Matt Bomer. He is Matt Bomer. classically wow. handsome on every definition. Which, so, again, <laughs> I the... blame... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, it's why the hat worked for him. But those of us here who look like 
Jim Gaffigan and Santa Claus got oh together and gave up on life. You know, it, it, I can't wear that hat. Did I try? Yes, I did. Did I look okay in hats? My mom says I did. Thanks, mom. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that was what should have been. And legitimately, you look at it, 2009 when that show started, I got my first fedora in 2010, 2011, I think it was. So we're yeah. talking right around the same time. It may not have been Genesis for all of it, but it is definitely for sure since that's in the intro of the show and he's constantly doing the little yeah. hat hand flip trick thing that everybody wanted to do uh. and everybody looks stupid doing unless they're Matt Bomer. And you don't understand this. Unless you are Matt Bomer in front of a gorgeous Panavision camera or Blackmagic or whatever fancy film camera you've got, unless you are him in the correct lighting, the correct outfit in front of that camera, you cannot do a hat trick without looking like a tool. Don't try it. You are not yeah, Matt Bomer. Yeah. That's um, the only thing I will say about this oh, show yeah. is there's some, particularly the fedora, but some other fashion and style choices that he went with yeah. that worked for him, and everybody assumed it'll work for me too, and the answer is it doesn't. That is not an insult. Huh. It is just the fact of the matter. So I'm just laughing at myself because I, I love Matt Bomer. I, uh, we, we've established this fact. Kendra's in love with Matt Bomer. We're at an hour and a half recording right now. I think I've said it about 90 times already. But I will have to send you, and I might post it just to, like, out myself, of my Instagram layout that my one friend made me do. Because she said the one day that everybody has a type. And I said, ha, I don't. And she said, "Uh, go pick every celebrity crush out of every TV show and movie and put them in an Instagram layout. And I did it to humor her. They all look like Matt Bomer. They're all just Matt Bomer. It's terrifying. Like, even go back to who is my number one looks like Matt Bomer. It's a, I have a problem. I have a problem, and it's Matt Bomer's fault. No, and I don't blame you. But like I said, like I'm looking at, you know, Matt Bomer's girlfriends from the show, and I'm like, mm-hmm. Or, and I'll, mm-hmm. I'll be perfectly honest, like I said, I said it before, there's something so beautiful and calming and serene and just, like I said, perfect about Peter's wife. She yeah. is just in the chaos of the show, which definitely there always is some. She is the grounding force for literally everybody by the end of the show. Um, yeah. She is fantastic to watch, but um, this is a small tidbit, I guess. Who is Jake's favorite um, female appearance as far as, um, well, dare I say it, attractiveness goes? The bartender from the first John Wick. And guess who's one of his girlfriends in this show? Oh, wait, is that her? Bridget Reagan plays Rebecca. And Bridget Reagan is also the one who played the bartender downstairs in the Continental in the first John Wick. Um, There you go, full circle moment. The tattoos, red hair, lipstick, uh, the whole thing. Nails. Beautiful young woman. And that's why she was great in that role. I'm surprised they didn't bring her back in future uh, John Wick films. But... Like I said, the casting of the villains, Ross McCall, which we may not know that name off the top of our heads, um, but he plays Keller, um, who's one of the uh, recurring villains. And he's got this Mm -hmm. fantastic sort of hard-nosed Bronx, well, just blow it up kind of juxtaposition versus Neil's sense of style. Um, It's amazing. But I know there's at least one more thing I know you want to touch on in the psych department again. I know I have this in front of me. Uh, And this is fascinating because we've talked on it already, but I 
think this really is a good way to explain how the rubber meets the road as far this, as yeah i think this hits home you're talking about the cognitive dissonance right i i absolutely am yes so this was my big how i wanted to end this episode it's a beautiful transition um basically cognitive dissonance we've talked about it before and it's the idea of getting the things in your head and what you feel and think to match reality and that the more cognitive dissonance you have the more like anxiety and stuff that you have and unsureness in your life and you have to fight with yourself and the biggest psychological thing that you see in white collar is neil's cognitive dissonance in what he's doing and how all these subplots and side stories, how he reconciles those with what he's doing at the moment. And Matt Bomer does just a fantastic job of acting as someone having a true internal struggle. Cause as Neil works with Peter, they strike up this unlikely friendship, but in the end, Peter understands Neil more than either of them think they do. So you kind of set this up in the very first episode that Peter is the only match for Neil. That Peter was the only one that was ever able to arrest Neil for his crimes. And then when he escapes, he's the one that they call to go find him again because he's the only one that can do it. They're essentially opposite ends of the same coin. And as you go through the series, and particularly the first one in two seasons, you see Neil go through this struggle of, you know, wanting to find Kate and wanting to go back to his life, but also liking working at the Bureau with Peter and that crew because both of these things represent a way his life can go. Kate represents his crime life and things that he's good at, but Peter represents what he could be if he was a functioning member of society. And I think they even, they give you one episode too that sort of is a, I don't know, it's, it's a neat sort of of um, sweetening of the deal as far as mm-hmm. there's so much to say about his old life that was so glamorous, it seems almost hard to conceive of a way this FBI life could compare. But one of the things that they give you as sort of ammunition, shall we say, for the argument that he should stay with the FBI is the episode where they go back to, I think, Quantico. And yeah. he he meets a young professor or teacher who had done their dissertation on him, on yeah. his his heists, his cons, his art forgeries. And so it ends up being a whole thing of he's now working with that person. And I think in the end of that episode, I think they figured out that that teacher was the one committing the crimes. They were trying to be a copycat. Exactly. Um, and they were using their students to kind of be that Ocean's Eleven team for them. Um, but there's something about that that you're like, he thrives on the idea that he is now part of the curriculum for the FBI. Um, yeah. And so it's like, wait a minute, I could have the same level of notoriety, but actually be allowed to have my name out there to some extent within reason. Otherwise, you know, he, he maybe loses his undercover effectiveness but to some extent, he can actually start attributing his own name to the things he's done because now he's above board. And there's something so eminently appealing to his ego and his pride that he can now be counted among the greats because, again, he's now literally the, the curriculum for Quantico, for exactly. FBI. It's fascinating. 
Yeah, and it's just, I truly, one of the things that I love so much is this same coin different sides thing and watching Neil struggle with that of this is what I could be, but this other thing is what I like to do and it feels more rewarding. And that internal struggle and that cognitive dissonance is really, at least for the first few seasons, what drives the show. And as someone who's super interested in psychology, obviously, as we have this podcast, um, interested in the psychology aspect of it all, that what's, that's what makes White Collar so good. And speaking on this, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this episode right now was that back in May, the creators of the show and Matt Bomer had this little thing where they all tweeted about a possible revival. So if you like anything we've talked about today and you've never seen White Collar, go watch it because the possibility of us getting a White Collar revival is pretty high up there. Obviously, COVID has thrown a wrench into everything, but I'm super excited that we might see Matt Bomer coming back as Neil in the near future. Yeah, and I, it's something I think could even adapt pretty well to a, a movie format. We've seen totally. you know, the success, like we said, of Logan Lucky, um, the Oceans films, the Italian Job, and a different Italian Job remakes. Um, like I said, there's a lot of these heist films out there. Um, and... I feel like it doesn't have to be a group heist film. That's something that's going to keep this maybe a little bit more unique is that group element might just be kind of provided by it being worked through the FBI, maybe. Um, but I also wouldn't be surprised if they were to be able to create a mini series or something where they could delve oh. in deeper into his backstory. It could be prequel based stuff. Um, I would love to see so more awesome. about Neil and, uh, Mozzie before he gets imprisoned, that would be super freaking cool. Oh, totally. Um, especially since they set it up the way they did. Um, there'd be so many different ways they could spin that into a movie or a, you know, since it is USA, it's a, a cable network. Wouldn't be surprised if they do one of those, oh, a six episode mini event kind of a thing. Whatever they go with, if they can, I would, I mean, I'm all aboard. It's... You know, it's it's like seeing multiple psych movies coming out. It's like when <laughs> Veronica Mars got its movie. Chuck people have been begging for one for a while. Yeah. And um, that's one of the reasons why I think this could happen soon is that for people that don't know, Ion is the network that syndicates both Monk and Psych, which is why yeah. White Collar fits so well in because it's that same type of unique element show. But with Psych being so popular and multiple movies and stuff coming out the possibility that ion could sign on for a white collar movie or mini series is pretty high so that's one of the reasons we talked about that this week was we both love it we both apparently love matt bomer <laughs> and there's a possibility of a revival i again it's super exciting it really is the dynamic of the that show is just so comforting again that's why i love it as a binge show is yeah there's something comforting about the humor of house and the uh it's always lupus or it always isn't lupus there's something about that don't get me it's wrong but there's something about white collar that at least in the course of the episode even the music the way they film it all those pieces come together it is a it's a happy show I don't know yeah. how else to put it. It's a very, even though there's some dr drama and some tension, it's still, it, it almost 
has to be lighthearted because of how much stress they put on those tensions. It needs to feel different. So for the majority of the episode, while they're just going through the regular motions of the, you know, the regular formula for an episode, it is so much just lighter and breezier. Like I said, it's so much better than things like Criminal Minds in my mind for watching in the background because it's not as dark. There's not as many tangled webs. It's a lot more straightforward and it's more just a matter of, oh man, when is that news going to come to light? They can't keep it a secret from ever. There's, it's obvious that it's going to have to be some sort of traumatic reveal. When's it going to happen? As opposed to, I don't know, who else is going to die like the other shows? <laughs> so exactly. I, th I think White Collar is cool in that it's a cop show that doesn't put pressure on anything. And that's that heist film. I think that's really what brings it out is that heist aspect and that White Collar who's the victim part. Those two things left that show very uniquely placed in the media market for sure. Yeah. And I couldn't have said it any better. <laughs> With that, we are actually out of time for today. As usual, our social media will be down in the description along with all of our research links for things. There's a lot of great stuff about the show, about like the top 10 episodes and things like, you know, what actually is white collar crimes. So a lot of that is in the description as well. And we hope you guys have a fantastic week and we'll see you next time.